Well, only a couple more weeks in this series on the image of God, which will conclude on Easter. And this morning, we are um, f- finally moving out of Genesis 2 and 3, but not really. Um, but we're in Genesis 4 now. And uh, we're going to read the first half of that. So hear God's word to us. This is Genesis 4 um, through verse 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why, are you, why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to, it, to you its strength. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, I have been driven You have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, No, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord. Lord, we give you thanks for your word and for worship. We pray you teach us this morning through the story of Cain. Teach us how in many ways the story of Cain is our story, that we, we are part of this story. And teach us, Lord, what it means for us to, to turn to you, Lord, and to be with you and to listen to you. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is not good for man to be alone. <clears throat> to be created in the image of God is to be, um, to be a social creature. And we get, I mean, God, God is a social God. And we get hints that God is a social God from the very beginning of creation. Uh, when God decides to make humans... He seems to have an internal conversation with himself. Uh, Let us make man in our own image, right? Let us make man. Who is the us and the we? Who is God talking about here? Or talking to, rather. Um, The writer of Genesis doesn't really have a doctrine of the Trinity in mind, for sure. But the early church fathers, I think, were, were correct 
in, in seeing that this is a foreshadowing of the Trinity, of the Holy Trinity. Um, in other words, God is not a solitary God in the sky that's lonely and needs to create something to have some company. Rather, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, perfect in love and fullness, and lacking nothing, and creation is simply the outflow of that love and goodness. And, but central to being created in the image of God is to be social. It's to be, uh, to, to be social creatures that reflect on our own communal life, God's own. So humans are communal creatures that need meaningful uh, social connection in order to survive. Uh, this is a, a, a basic need for physical survival. And um, more and more in science and medicine, uh, is kind of an accepted fact that we need other people. So in areas of research like epidemiology, which is uh, the study of public health, um, neuroscience, psychology, social sciences, there's, there's pretty much universal agreement that social connection or community relationships is essential for our health and flourishing. We were not created to be alone, right? And um, the fact that we need other people and we need social connection isn't simply something for our, our psychological well-being. It actually impacts our, our physical health as well. Um, former Surgeon General of the United States, uh, uh, Vivek Murthy, uh, says this. He says, loneliness, and he's sort of summarizing studies, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with the reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. In other words, like to, to be lonely, to have weak social connection is, is, is problematic for your, your lifespan as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. It takes um, actual life off of your, your um, takes life away. Now, even though there is um, an emerging consensus around our need for social connection and community, um, we are experiencing in the Western world an ever-deepening um, crisis or epidemic of loneliness. Um, and even in, 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 in Great Britain, for instance, um, they, they see this loneliness as a, as a public health crisis and they've actually appointed a minister of loneliness. This is part of an official cabinet office or something. A minister of loneliness. And so academics and social scientists are talking a lot about this. And uh, there's an important book that came out, an edited volume of academics reflecting on this problem of loneliness called The Crisis of Connection. And, and in, the, in the beginning of the book, the authors, um, they offer a, ver a rather dire assessment um, of the situation. I'm just going to give you a few lines here. At the beginning of the 20th century, we are beset by a crisis of connection, and people are increasingly disconnected from themselves, from each other, with a state of alienation and isolation, fragmentation characterizing much of the Western world. And then they go on to, to talk about the social fallout of, of the crisis of connection. Um, the decreasing levels of empathy and trust, and the rising indices of depression, anxiety, loneliness, and social isolation indicate a loss of connection at the individual and community levels. And the impact of such a crisis is evident in the rise, rising rates of suicide, drug addiction, mass violence, and high rates of incarceration, hate crimes, domestic violence, and sexual assault. 
So not only does uh, loneliness impact our physical health, it actually is at the root and source of many social ills in the world, in our society. So we all agree <laughs> that loneliness is a problem. Nobody is actually making an argument otherwise. We all agree that we need connection, um, that community and relationships are good for us, and yet it seems like we're powerless to kind of stop the tide of loneliness, to stem the epidemic. So what are we to do? And I think part of it is understand that loneliness is not simply a public health crisis. It is. But it's more than that. It cannot simply be fixed by a public awareness campaign um, about the mental and physical uh, health benefits of, of strong social connections. Loneliness is a deeply moral and spiritual problem. Loneliness is a deeply moral and spiritual problem. There is, I think, something uniquely modern about loneliness in, in human history. Um, nevertheless, loneliness doesn't begin with us. We're not the first people to experience loneliness. Uh, loneliness really is a manifestation of the curse of Cain, which is our story this morning. Uh, you could think of Cain as the original lonely man. <laughs> Cain is the original lonely man. And I think it's helpful to look at this story if we're to understand the deep roots of our own experience of loneliness and how to address it. And, and I, I just want to say something about this chapter, um, because we usually think of Genesis 1 through 3 um, as this contained unit, and, and it's like this is the story of everything, and then, then something else happens in chapter 4. But you have to see that chapter 4 of Genesis is actually a continuation of the account of the fall. So here we have, we have a new uh, incident, a new original sin, um, when Cain slays his brother Abel. There's a way in which that, that Cain's uh, act um, of murder, uh, it changes human history in just the same way that eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil changed human history. Uh, Cain's is the original sin against community. It is a sin that shatters and breaks community and brotherhood. And so it's, it's an original sin in the way we think about the, the sin in the garden. And what that means is that we, you and I, still today, are sons and daughters of Cain. Spiritually speaking, we're sons and daughters of Cain. And, and so there's a sense in which we, we kind of live out this sin in our own lives. We, in a sense, participate in it. And that also means we suffer the consequences of Cain's sin. Um, and what are the consequences? Let me read them to you. This is what the Lord says to Cain. Uh, what, you have what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. And you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So there are two sides to this curse. Um, one is that Cain has been alienated from the land itself, from the earth. Um, the other one is he's been exiled now from community, from human society. Um, he will live his life as like a fugitive, a wanderer, a restless wanderer on the earth. And, and it's this description in particular, this second part of the curse that I think really captures the, the modern experience of loneliness because there's a way that we, we feel like we are fugitives or we're, we're kind of, we're wanderers, you know, um, 
restless wanderers, um, unable to settle down, make connections. And, and our culture, I think, has even turned the condition of being lonely and nomadic into a romantic ideal to be embraced, right? Um, the reality is, is that in one way or another, all of us bear the mark of Cain. We all bear the mark of Cain. And the mark of Cain, one of the marks, is, is the original loneliness. Loneliness isn't just a condition of being a modern person. It's, it's actually part of um, the fall. Now, the question I want to address with you this morning is this. What would it mean for us to take responsibility for our loneliness? What would it mean for us to take responsibility for our loneliness? When we think about loneliness, we tend to think about it's something that, that happens to us, um, that we become victims of. Um, one in which we often don't think about ourselves as being responsible. And I think there's, there's some truth to this, that there are times in life that we find ourselves in situations of loneliness in which um, are outside of our control and are not our fault. But more often than not, like Cain, our loneliness is a consequence of deliberate decisions we've made about how to order our lives. And so I want us to consider that. I think the truth of the matter is, is when you read this story carefully, Cain was a lonely man well before he ever murdered his brother and was exiled from community. Um, when God exiles Cain, um, he simply gives him what are the true desires of his heart. Um, see, Cain wanted the benefits of community without the responsibility of community. He wanted the comforts of connection without the requirement to nurture and maintain them. And again, I think this is a very uh, apt description of where we're at as a culture. We want and long for community, um, but we don't want the responsibility for community. Um, and so I think if we're gonna address and take responsibility for our own loneliness, um, we need to stop seeing ourselves as simply as victims of bad luck or social exclusion by others and address loneliness at the heart and at the root. And that requires us to do two things that Cain was not willing to do. So that's what I wanna kind of explore with you this morning. Two things that Cain was not willing to do. The first one was this, he was not willing to nurture aloneness with God. <laughs> that's the first thing he couldn't do. And the second thing he didn't wanna do is he did not wanna be a keeper of community. Um, to overcome loneliness, we need to learn what it means to be alone with God. This is so true. This is the big, this is the, where I'll spend most of my time this morning. To overcome loneliness, we need to learn what it means to be alone with God. And so let's go back to the beginning of this story and ask this question. Well, how did Cain get to where he got? How was it that he came to the point of, of murdering his own brother? And again, Cain, as I, I'm going to claim, was a lonely man long before he was exiled from community, long before he murdered his brother. And at the root of that is Cain refused to be alone with God. Um, friends, the deepest source of loneliness in our life is actually our inability to be alone with God. <laughs> and, to, and why this creates loneliness is, is that you, is, it means we're alienated from ourselves. To, to not be able to be alone with God is not to be able to be who you really are. Um, and it starts with Cain's offering. So, 
In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So right here, there's something off. There's something wrong with Cain's offering. He, he gives a bad offering. And it's a sign of something off kilter in his relationship with God. But it's not necessarily sin. See, Cain's offering isn't, God doesn't consider Cain's offering sin. But there's not something right with it. There's something wrong inside. And God, God comes to Cain and says, okay, you can make this right. You can do something about this, right? If you, and if you don't do something about this, it actually will lead to sin. And so, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why, are you, why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But, <clears throat> but, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, okay, what's going on here? Now, we never really learn why God doesn't accept Cain's offering and why he accepted Abel's. But to be clear, it, it ha- doesn't have to do with, with, the, with the content of, of, of the sacrifice or the offering. It's not because, you know, uh, God's a meat eater and he doesn't like vegetables, right? Is That's not the reason. It doesn't actually have to do with, with whether it's vegetables or the fruit of the ground or from the herd. It actually has to do with Cain's heart. And I think that's the reason we're actually never given a reason of, of why. Because what's wrong with the offering is actually Cain's heart. And the Lord is trying to engage him. And, and he, he says, listen, if you, you can make this right, you know what the right thing to do, right? And what God is doing is God is engaging Cain at the heart level. He's saying, be alone with me. Engage me face to face. And there's this language of the, Cain's face fell, right? In other words, he turned his face away from the Lord. Instead, he turned it to the Lord. So, what does Cain do? Instead of receiving God's invitation, he continues on in his anger, right? He's angry. And he keeps walking down the path of anger, and he continues to face away from God. And what he does, though, instead, is he faces his brother. He turns to his brother. Cain spoke to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Now, who does Cain have a problem with? Who's, who's, who does Cain have a problem with? Why is he angry? Did Abel do him wrong? Is Abel the problem? No, Abel is not the problem. God is the problem. Cain doesn't want to deal with God. So he takes his anger and injury out on his little brother. Uh, psychologists uh, describe what Cain does with his anger as displacement, right? Displacement. Displacement is a defense mechanism in which the person redirects their emotional reaction from the rightful object to someone else or another object or person, right? So Cain's mat, I mean, deep down, Cain's real problem in anger is with God. But he doesn't want to deal with God because that would require him to deal with himself. And so he directs his anger to his brother and takes that on him. And right here emerges a really, really important truth for what it means to be in community and what the nature of society as a whole. See, when we think about personal conflict in our life within the church or our family or in society at large, we tend to always think in very horizontal ways. Like it's just, it's just about 
individuals in conflict. It's interpersonal, right? <coughs> and when we do this, when we think about conflict simply as a horizontal interpersonal problem, our solutions tend to only go there as well, right? Um, but what this story teaches us that's so important to remember is that there is a horizontal dimension, but there's also a vertical one. It's a both hand. God is always in the middle of all of our conflicts. Um, this is a very important truth <laughs> as a Christian. All social conflict, all conflict in our life in one way or another has a spiritual dimension. Um, it reflects alienation, our alienation from God, our broken relationship with God. Again, Cain's problem wasn't with Abel, it was with God. But he doesn't want to deal with God, and so what ends up doing is he takes that on the community. Um, all community problems are God problems. All sins against the community and within the community reflect broken and, and messed up relationships with God, right? And this is, um, in the New Testament, this, this is something that gets developed, this theme, especially in 1 John, um, where the idea that you could love God and hate your brother is just, a, it's a contradiction. You simply can't do it. There's no way to love God and not love your brother or sister. And actually, the only place in the New Testament where Cain is evoked is actually in 1 John, to make the, precisely this point. Uh, John says, for this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So here's the application point for us is when you survey your lives and the broken relationships and conflicts you have, you have to understand that there is a spiritual dimension. <laughs> it's never just with that person. And when we fail to love others and they fail to love us, there's also something else going on. There's a bad sacrifice somewhere. There's a bad sacrifice somewhere. There's something going on in our hearts that's off kilter and we need to engage God. And this is why it's important to be alone with God, to know ourselves. One of the reasons I, that we are so lonely in life is that we've not learned how to cultivate solitude with God. Um, we're always busy, distracted. We can never be alone with ourselves to confront ourselves. And, and when, we, when we do this, this creates this deep spiritual void in our lives. And, and when it goes unaddressed, it, it, and we enter into relationships and marriage and community, and we seek this deep connection, which can only really be addressed by the Lord himself, um, it creates all kinds of problems. We come into relationships and we come into community with impossibly high expectations of what um, that relationship or that community will be able to do for us or deliver to us. And when people fail to meet our God-like expectations for connection, what ends up happening is then we blame them. <laughs> you failed me. You failed me. They're the problem. The community is the problem. And so what then ha happens is then we disconnect because we've been disappointed, and then we, just our loneliness deepens more, right? It's a vicious cycle. All the time, the tendency is for us to be like Cain, is to not look within, but always to look without. 
to not look inside, but to see it's not about me, it's about them. Again, nurturing aloneness with God is what it means to go inward, (laughs) to know oneself. Um, Cain was a man who did not know himself. He did not know his heart. He didn't know how off-kilter he was. You never know yourself, the real you, and the real desires of your heart if you're unwilling to be alone with God, if you don't cultivate solitude with God. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, makes this point uh, quite profoundly. Um, He says, let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. All alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape yourself, for God has singled you out. And if you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you cannot have any part of the community of those who are called. Bonhoeffer's old point is that, and this is very biblical, is that to really be in community in a healthy way, you have to know what it means to be alone with God, to be with God. Um, To be alone with God is to deal with your true self. It is to contemplate the ways that our lives often become a bad sacrifice. (laughs) and to go and embrace uncomfortable solitude and uncomfortable journeys inward that lead ultimately to true connection. See, the point of being alone with God is not to continue to be alone, but to be in relationship in a healthy way. So Cain uh, refused to be alone with God. But the second problem and the mistake he made is that he refused to be a keeper of community. Uh, Now there's some irony in the way the story is told Uh, Cain, you know, he complains about his punishment from God as too much to bear. It's too great. Um, And he, you know, Cain, in other words, he, again, he wanted to be in community, but he didn't want to be a keeper of community. He wanted the benefits of community, but he didn't want to have to bear responsibility for it. Um, Again, look back at our text. When God comes to Cain, he says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, More more exactly, uh, does the shepherd need a shepherd? Um, The keeper, a keeper? Now remember the relationships here, right? Cain's the older brother. Abel's the younger brother. Um, Abel is, uh, his name means vapor, breath. He's the vulnerable brother. And the older brother is is supposed to protect and watch out for the little brother. And the word keep here is really important. It's the Hebrew word samar. And if you remember in the garden where God puts the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. And so Cain's a worker of the ground. Abel is a keeper of the sheep. These both go together, working and keeping. But in this story, they get split apart. And Cain says, am I supposed to be a keeper? Right? And in that word keep, and and this is a word that that gets developed um, in the Old Testament, but it means to watch over, to guard, to protect. Right, just what a shepherd does, right? Protects the sheep, right? Cain was a worker of the ground, but he didn't want to be a keeper. And so Cain complains. He's like, that's not my job. But he wants community. But when community is taken from him, 
He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he didn't want to be a keeper of the community. Now, what is, um, what is the opposite of being a keeper of community in our context? The opposite of being a keeper of community is to be a consumer of community. To want community without taking responsibility for it is to be a consumer of community. And to be a consumer of community is to use the community as a means um, for your own happiness, um, security, uh, identity, fulfillment, to address your loneliness needs. Um, it is, again, to use the community. But here's the thing. Even when you consume community and you benefit from it, that even if you're in the, you guys know this is true, right? It is possible to be within the center of a community and still experience loneliness, right? To be surrounded with people and still experience loneliness. And one of the reasons why we still experience loneliness is that we're just consumers and we're not keepers. We're just consumers, we're not keepers. We, we actually don't wanna bear the responsibility of community, but the only way you actually move past deep loneliness in your life is you be a keeper, you bear responsibility. Um, because this is the only way that you ever can be known. See, <clears throat> one of the reasons we're so lonely <laughs> is that we're just consumers, we're not keepers. And our whole culture teaches us to do this. So we want depth and we want intimacy, we want vulnerability and we want openness, but we're unwilling to, to, to make promises and keep them. We're unwilling to enter into covenantal relationships. We're flaky and casual about showing up or being present. We wanna keep our options open and we end up keeping people at arm's length. Cain wanted a brother, but he didn't wanna be a brother, right? We want friends, but we don't know how to be friends, or we don't know how to be a friend. And so we're lonely. We want people to meet our needs, but we're not willing to be there for others. <clears throat> but again, the breakthrough to community happens when we learn to be keepers of community. There are a lot of different reasons, I think, that we resist being keepers of community. Um, part of that is a distorted understanding of freedom. Um, I just refer you back to a couple weeks ago in the sermon on there. But I want to address another reason that gets a little bit more personal. One of the reasons why I think that we don't want to be keepers of community is that we're afraid of being seen. <laughs> we're afraid of being seen. Uh, we're afraid of being found out for who we are. And this is, again, related to that other point about being alone with God. Because to be alone with God is to see yourself as you really are. And sometimes the knowledge of ourselves as we really are is a scary, uh, scary thing. Um, to be alone with ourselves, to be vulnerable in community is to, um, to court shame in our lives, right? Um, and you know, we, we feel that, that possibility of shame and rejection there, and we do like Adam and Eve, right? We flee. We flee the presence of God, we create coverings, and, and we hide ourselves. But the problem of loneliness can never be overcome until you are known, until you are known as you really are. But this, again, creates this impossible contradiction, right? Like, if I'm really known, it's very possible that deepens my experience of shame and rejection. And so what are we to do? 
And friends, this is precisely the meaning of God's grace, right? What we need in life is we need the loving gaze of another person that sees us for who we are, the good, the bad, the ugly, the shame, the nakedness, and doesn't turn away, right? That's what we need. And that is precisely what grace is. <laughs> that is what, and that's what God was trying to give to Cain, and that's what God continues to give to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He looks at us, he sees our shame and our ugliness, and he doesn't turn away. And that's why I love that story of Zacchaeus, because it's very much a story of, of shame and restoration. Um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a sinner. Um, he is a Jew, but he's seen to be not a keeper of community, but a destroyer of community because he takes financial advantage of the people because he collects money for the, for the Roman government. And so he is an outcast and seen as a crook and a cheat. Um, and no doubt you can imagine, you know, he's a lonely man. He's a lonely man and he, he's excluded from community. And so he hears that Jesus is coming into town and he wants to see Jesus, but he's also short, which I'm sure he got made fun of a lot. And part of it, he can't see over the crowd and the crowd like sort of, you know, pushes him out of the way so he can't see. So what he does is then he climbs up the tree and he's looking for Jesus and Jesus comes through and Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I want to be in your house. Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him, he calls him by name and he invites himself into his home. He invites himself into Zacchaeus' home and Zacchaeus is alone with Jesus. He's alone with Jesus and this is the beginning of his restoration to community. Um, Zacchaeus says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore fourfold." We have no idea what the nature of the conversation with Jesus was alone in his home, but you can see here that being with Jesus alone in his own home, coming to see himself for who he is in the presence of the Lord, is the beginning of his restoration to the community where Jesus says, this is a son of Abraham. He belongs. Friends, it is the same with us. To be alone with God is nothing less than to be like Zacchaeus and to invite Jesus into your home. Invite him into your home and be with him. And when you do that, that's when he begins to address the deep loneliness of our hearts and empowers us and gifts us with belonging. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus that he sees us. We think we're looking for him, but he's really the one looking for us. And he sees us for all we are, for our sin and our ugliness and all the nasty bits, and he doesn't turn away. And we thank you. We thank you for your grace. May we learn and, and, and grow into that reality. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.